Welcome to the Two Stewards Show. You are probably not having a wonderful day because if you were having a wonderful day, you probably would not have pressed play on the Two Stewards Show, knowing that by doing so, you could very well risk your wonderful day going horribly sideways. But Mark and I are here to reward your risk-taking action with some juicy information on a real estate investing strategy that works right here in the GTA. This time we discuss detached accessory dwelling units. Hopefully, by the time this episode is done, your day will be wonderful, but life is full of risks, and listening to The Two Stewards Show is no exception. If you are considering building a laneway suite, or a garden suite, or a coach house, or a carriage house, or a granny flat, or a backyard cottage, or a tiny home, then this episode will shed some light on the why, how, who, what, when. And if you need more information from one of us, you can get in contact with Mark over at Joy Hill Property Management, joyhill.ca. He is helping folks to set up and manage successful short and midterm rental properties. I am over at Good Stewards. Our services help you source the right investment property, develop quality rental units, and secure amazing tenants. Learn more at goodstewards.ca. Or you could reach out to both of us at hello at twostewards.ca. Now, let's ease your blues by talking ADUs. Hello, folks, and welcome back to another episode of the Two Stewards Show. I'm your host, Mark, and I'm here with your other hosts, Brent. Hello, everybody. And today, we're going to start a little mini-series on ADUs, Accessory Dwelling Units. So uh, we've been talking a little bit about macro and some more abstract uh, rambling concepts the last few episodes, but now we've got some uh, very specific stuff where we want to talk about. Very relevant to what's going on in our city here in Hamilton and probably around multiple different provinces. Yeah, 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 absolutely in Canada for sure. Um, Yeah, as regards the housing crisis. So you actually had somebody email in. And uh, maybe I'll just kind of summarize the uh, the question here, because this is a good uh, kick step off point to the discussion about ADUs, right? So this uh, person bought a three bedroom bungalow. They're going to put a two bedroom apartment in the basement. Yep, I mean that's pretty pretty common. Um, so we're making it into a duplex now. They were wondering, is it worth adding a third uh, detached ADU accessory dwelling unit in the backyard? And, um, I mean, if you ask us, we're always like, yes, more density, more density. Um, but there's a few questions, right? So does this lower the quality of tenant attracted to the property? Um, does it make the property weird and hard to sell someday? Because you might have a a neighborhood full of bungalows and you got this thing with like three units on it. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, what do you do? Do you like match the neighborhood? Do you do a modern look? And then how do you rent it out? Like as a long-term rental, as a short-term rental, what's the best uh, best option? So I think we'll use that as sort of a kickoff point to um, to talk about ADUs. And this is really Brent's um, wheelhouse here. So <laughs> I'll be asking the questions here, Brent. <laughs> Great. <laughs> so I had a coffee this morning. Okay, so. <laughs> we're good. We're good to go. So, okay, is it worth adding an ADU in the backyard? Uh, no. I mean, yes. So that's a, that's a great question. It depends. Um, so first of all, okay, what's an ADU? You said accessory dwelling unit. Um, you just jump into this a little bit more. Um, so every municipality has their own, um, kind of words for this. Like 
second suite detached accessory dwelling and whatever it is yeah essentially um you're building a legal dwelling unit on the same lot um as your principal dwelling right yeah so if you have a residential uh zoned house uh sorry residential zone lot in the city um and uh the bylaws permit like your zoning bylaw permits uh, a third dwelling unit which um, i mean sorry jump in here but yeah we, we talked about as of right uh, zoning and what's happening in Ontario. Yeah. So would I be right in saying that you can do this pretty well anywhere in Ontario now? Yeah. So um, I don't know anywhere, but most places, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Basements for sure. Backyards. Um, I think some cities are more ahead of the curve than others. <clears throat> but uh, Okay. I thought that uh, Ford had put it out saying basically like you have to allow this now in yeah. your city. Well, that's the thing. So you have to allow it, but then how do you allow it? And how oh, progressive okay. are you in making all the requirements known to um, investors or people who want to put these in your backyard, right? So some cities are like, you know, we were ready for having, like ready to have these in yeah. everybody's backyard. This is what you do, right? Um, whereas other cities are like, you know, kind of tentative. We don't really want to have these, whatever. And they're make it a little bit harder. So they kind of kick themselves in the foot a little bit. And yeah. Um, that's where you get into nimbyism and imbyism. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but I mean, basically, w well, when we talked of as of right, that means you, you still have to get permits and stuff, but you don't have to yeah. get a variance. You don't have to do like a public hearing. Yeah. As long as you get the permits and you're, you're good, then, and yeah. whatever other red tape the city kind of throws at you, right? Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, we're talking about Hamilton now as our example, but this, you know, could be yeah. applied elsewhere. So as of right, so if you have the, um, a zoning that allows for uh, a, a detached accessory dwelling, you can do that as of right, um, which basically just means just to refresh people's memory that um, you're permitted to do it, but you still have to meet the uh, setback requirements, the height requirements, um, you know, and a lot coverage requirements like there, right. there's a bunch of requirements that as long as you fit within those um you don't have to go to a public consultation and pay all those fees and wait because it is a public process so it takes time right yeah um so you can just basically if you meet all the requirements submit for a building permit get your permit and the neighbors don't really have to get notified nobody has an opinion on whether or not this is going to be permitted so yeah if you go back five ten years you would never think of this, right? No. But because uh, there's such a crisis for housing and uh, affordability crunch for people, uh, the city is recognizing, okay, we need to do something. We can't really build out because in this area we have the green belt. <laughs> I think Doug Ford <laughs> tried that, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> that didn't go so well. <laughs> well, he's like, look at all this green land. Why don't we just develop it? And it's like, Neh. yeah, that's a political thing right yeah um, for sure it's a really tough issue uh, a lot of people want to push back on that but on the other hand if you want to have more housing you got to put it somewhere so this is kind of an easy way to say well we have all this land in people's backyards why don't we just let um, you know individual homeowners maybe some investors start building dwelling units in the backyard and there's kind of more of a trend towards um, people not having a car um, yeah. at least in some areas, maybe out in the suburbs, you still kind of need a car, but, um, a lot of areas, yeah, you could make do with working from home and, you know, you can get on the bus and go to your grocery store and you don't really need a car. A lot of the younger generation probably can't even afford a car. 
<laughs> well, I'm, I'm thinking of a lot of new immigrants as well, right? Exactly, yeah. They're not coming here with loads of money and certainly not a car. Yeah. If so, they need one, they rent one. And Yeah. Um, so what that does, I guess, just puts a little bit less pressure on the requirement for parking, right? So if yeah. the city's saying, well, you, you probably can't fit a backyard dwelling unit um, because you can't, not because you don't have the space in your backyard, but because you can't accommodate a parking spot. Yeah. Right? So... Um, now they're starting to show more leniency on that. And, um, you know, you, you only need two parking spots for three dwelling units, for example. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, okay. So, um, yeah. Is it, is it worth, I don't know if you answered this yet. Is it worth adding, uh, an ADU in the backyard if you had, so, I mean, we're probably thinking of like an investor now who, yeah. uh, I mean, it could be someone who owns a home as well, like a homeowner who lives there. Um, yeah, what, what's the best way to do densification? Do you start with, add your basement suite and then do an ADU, do them both at the same time. If you have the money, can you do more than one ADU? Yeah. If you have the money is the question. I think. <laughs> and to what standard, right? Cause you can convert a basement if it already has, let's say a kitchen and a bathroom and, um, you can kind of just do the bare minimum to meet your codes. Yeah. So fire rating, sound, um, some of the stuff could probably get grandfathered in. If you already have drywall, like there's a chance the city might say, okay, well, yeah, you just put another layer on here. And like we've had stuff like that approved in the past. Um, So you could probably do a basement apartment pretty cheap, but if you're going and you're basically, you know, taking the stairs out of your house, which is what we've done on multiple occasions, right? Where you live upstairs but um, the stairwell goes to the basement, but you don't really use that because you've blocked it off. Uh, but that okay. takes up a lot of square footage in the basement yeah. as well. Um, so if you put a walkout in, like a concrete um, cutout, and you put steps out the outside, um, then all of a sudden you can eliminate all the square footage in the basement and have um, maybe another bedroom, right? Yeah. You go from a two-bedroom unit to a three-bedroom yeah, unit. Okay, yeah. And, uh, yeah, you can charge more rent, but now your house is not really ever going to be a single family dwelling again. Right. So if you live there and you're doing this in your basement, um, you know, it's always going to be a rental unit. Yeah. So if your family grows, you're going to have to probably move or uh, rent the basement out to your kids. (laughs) Yeah. So I guess it depends on how much you're looking to spend and what your intention is. Right. Because if you go that extra step and it becomes an investment property rather than your primary dwelling or your principal dwelling and yeah um yeah it might make more sense for you to move at some point keep this as an investment property um and that's something that we kind of help people do as well right if they're if they're living in a house that's suitable to be a an investment property right like it meets all the criteria that you know this this property that you own you're currently living as a single family home you could add three or you could make it into three units yeah and refinance it and take the money back out and go out, go buy your own house. Right. Yeah. Somewhere else. So that's a cool little strategy. But anyways, we're talking about ADUs. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's all, it's is all it, part of it. it. I want to get back yeah. to that refi part as well, but, um, yeah. Okay. So the basement you can do relatively, relatively easily. Yeah. Unless you're doing major structural changes, which you might want to do, but then you're probably vacating the first floor as well. Right. Yeah. If you're um, taking out stairs and if you're taking out stairs, if you like concrete dust is the worst, yeah, <laughs> but structural changes, right. If you're putting in a beam or something, yeah. um, there's ways to do it without interrupting, but, 
Uh, HVAC system is a big one, right? If you want to move the furnace and change the ductwork in a right. significant way in the basement, that's going to affect. So obviously, like you might be able to do it during the summer, but you know you have to kind of work that out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, okay, and then so adding the ADU to the backyard. So I've lived it, through enough Renos that <laughs> <laughs> you and me both, pal. Yeah. <laughs> um, Adding an ADU to the backyard, isn't it cheaper just to go buy another property? Um, <clears throat> cheaper. So if you already own the land and yeah. it meets the criteria and you can put a backyard suite back there um, without going through some drastic um, you know, public process, then it's not really cheaper, right? Because you already have the land. So essentially you're sitting on free land. And I think a lot of people don't realize that. Um, you know, probably a lot of homeowners don't want to just plunk another house in their backyard. And, you know, that's where my kids play. Yeah. But, um, if you, if you look at it, like I was just describing before, where your house could be an investment property at some point. Yeah. Right? Um, cause actually a lot of people in my age bracket who are like, you know, in their thirties, um, they've kind of, they bought their starter home and now they're getting to a point where, you know what, we're kind of outgrowing this. We need something else and they're moving. Yeah. Um, but they're selling a house that could, it's a, it's a great, great rental property, to be honest. It's a, it's a bungalow. Um, it meets the criteria for an upstairs, downstairs conversion, and they have enough space in the backyard for an ADU. So in that situation, um, you know, buying another house uh, as an investment property and staying here might not make sense, right? It might make yeah. sense to keep this one, turn it into an investment property and move. Right. Yeah. So would it be cheaper to do that than to buy another property? Yeah, because you're not paying for the land again, right? So um, if you, uh, you're, you're sacrificing your backyard, but you're gaining, you know, another stream of income. Yeah. So for somebody who's doing this on their land, um, they're going to get, uh, uh, you know, could be 2000 3000 I don't know, depends on what you build. Um, the stuff you can build um, in Hamilton. That, so we've we've done a few designs, and we actually just got a permit uh, a couple of weeks ago or a week ago. Um, but you can build a 750 square foot house with a basement and a story and a half, like in your backyard as of right. So we have one property that we're we're investigating right now. Um, like we own the property, we're converting the house, but the backyard is ginormous, um, which is the reason we bought the is that property. That's the official term, ginormous. Ginormous, yeah. Okay. yeah. It says right in the zoning. <laughs> <laughs> As of right, you can do whatever you like in this ginormous yard. But what would qualify for an ADU? So I, I think this would boggle people's minds because when when you say like a tiny home or a detet, like a garden yeah. suite, people think okay, just this little thing with you know one bathroom and a bedroom and maybe a little cooking area. And, yeah, it's like a hippie living in there. Yeah, they don't shower too often, so yeah. it's okay. You know, you, you got know? two little chairs out the front. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but this, you can have a full basement. Yep. And it's uh, like a seven hundred and something square foot footprint, right? Um, and then it's story and a half. So you have like your common area on the main floor and maybe you have a little office Yeah. and then you have two bedrooms upstairs with like slanted ceilings and then maybe a bathroom in between. Right. So I'm thinking of a lot of houses like on the, the West insert your number here, you know, West first to West 
whatever in Hamilton. In Hamilton, where like that is wartime homes. Those right? are or the, the houses, Stelco yeah. worker homes. That's that house. Yeah, but just new. Maybe a, just a little bit smaller, um, because the the square footage, like above grade square footage, is kind of capped at a certain yeah. percentage of what the main house is. Right. right. So you can only go up to uh, I think it's seventy percent of what the floor area of the house is. Right. Um, so, so if you have a bigger main house, yeah, like you can do a bigger ADU. Up, up, yeah. Up to a certain size. Right. Yeah. Um, and then they also limit the number of bedrooms, but you know, if people show an office, like this is happens all the time, right? You want an office, not a bedroom, doesn't have a closet, but it's still another room. So yeah. when you're doing your rental listing, you all of a sudden they basically have a three bedroom home, right? Yeah. Or two plus one or something like that. Right. But if you build this thing with a basement, you technically could have like a five bedroom home <laughs> That's crazy. with two bathrooms or like depending on the number of fixtures you can have. Yeah. Right. In your backyard. Yeah. Ridiculous. So, so the question I guess is what's it going to cost to build that? Yeah. And what's that going to rent for? And then the other question that investors want to know is what's that going to be valued at? What, what is it going to um, refinance for or appraise for? Right. So a lot of these things are kind of unknowns because there's not a whole lot of rental stock out there. Yeah. Um, in the neighborhood we're in, there's two that I'm aware of that are um, detached dwellings um, that are recently in the last year. Yeah. And they are basically garage conversions. Oh, okay. Right? So that's another way that this is done is if you have an existing outbuilding, a garage that yeah. is structurally sound, you can tie it into the house and turn that into a dwelling unit. And I think that'll be a lot more common moving forward is if there is a garage, it's converted. Yeah, yeah I've seen a few um, of those. And but then, then you, you add a little bit onto the garage. Yeah, you, know. you save all the construction cost of putting in your foundation and your walls and roof. Well, right? Yeah, because now you're not doing a basement, right? You're just no. leaving the pad as is. Yeah. If it's in good shape and then building up. Yeah, but yeah. the cost is a lot lower but then, you know, what can you get for rent for a garage-sized unit? It's still decent, right, for the cost that Yeah, it is. Yeah, you could fit a so. two-bedroom in there probably. Two-bed, one-bath. Yeah. But when you look at, is it worth it? It's kind of about trade-offs, right? So if, if yeah. it's an investment property, it's probably worth it. But if it's your own house, you have to kind of look at, well, I was using that garage yeah. as a man cave. Or, <laughs> you know, I store my car in that garage. Does anyone store their car in their garage? I don't think so. I never have. No. It's, <laughs> it's like tools, yeah. junk. Come home, open the garage, and it's just like, oh, yeah, all that stuff I got to <laughs> do. <with." laughs> um, okay, so so for an investor then, I think uh, what we're getting, you know, the question that we had, is it worth to add an ADU? Um, yes, yeah, so in terms of rent, because now instead of having one bungalow that you can rent for let's say three grand if it's yeah. a whole house with a backyard and everything you could probably rent that top floor for 2500 you yeah. can rent the basement and we're talking hamilton here yeah um basement for another maybe two thousand it's all nice it's all yeah. been redone and then the 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 thing in the backyard so let's say yeah, it's another two twenty five hundred depending yeah so now if you're it, if uh, it's brand new yeah, seven seven grand a month or so income. Yeah. Now you have to balance that against your uh, your payments and stuff. But you talked about the refi refinance. So um, I don't. Know, let's just explore that a little bit. So you're gonna you need some money, obviously, to do the construction. 
Yeah. Um, can you borrow money? So yeah, maybe let's just walk through. We got to paint a picture what the scenario is. So let's do this as an investor, right? Not yeah. a homeowner. So yeah. uh, an investor is going to, um, they, they want to make an investment in the city uh, to, um, to deploy a bunch of money into an asset that they think um, they want to own for the long term, right? So real estate, perfect thing. Yep. Um, they could buy a bungalow and rent it out. That's not going to work, right? Your rent's not going to cover your expenses with the house prices and the interest rates. It's just foolish, right? Yeah. Um, what has been really common over the last you know five to eight years is you buy that house, you add the basement suite. Now you have two streams of income that generally works until about two years ago when the interest rates <laughs> or a year ago when the interest rates tripled. Yeah. <laughs> right. So now you're carrying costs and you're borrowing costs to convert the house and to carry that is, uh, it's just cost prohibitive to, um, just doing two units. Right. Yeah. Um, sometimes you might be able to work, make it work. Obviously if you get the house for a good price or you can do the renovations really cheaply and you can attract great tenants. Right. So you've got all these variables, right. You're going, yeah. You pay the least amount for the house, the least amount for the renovations. You get the best refinance value and you get the best uh, rental income. Then yeah. maybe it works. But um, it's still really, really challenging right now, right? But with the with the detached ATU, that adds another um, income jump, right? On the yeah. same lot. So now you're buying the same, like the house for the same price, but you're getting, instead of two times the income, you're getting three times the income, right? Yeah. But you do have to obviously build two units yeah. like you'll build a basement and build a backyard suite. So running the numbers on that, um, there's a lot, there's a lot of variables, right? Depending on, you know, if you have to come in and demolish something, right? So some of these houses, it might work, but there's a garage or, um, like a carport attached to the house and you can't fit the ADU, yeah. uh, with the right setbacks unless you demolish something. So you have the extra cost, um, right. Or, um, yeah, like all, all there's all kinds of different things that might affect like a, it's all project specific. Yeah. Um, but then what do you choose to build too, right? Do you choose to build a full basement, basically a, f a five bedroom home in your backyard? Yeah. Or are you going uh, to just do like a slab on grade, uh, f you know, 450, 550 square feet, uh, one bedroom unit or a bachelor kind of style? So it's a lot cheaper to construct that, right? With one story, just, you know, four walls, a roof and a little bathroom and a kitchenette. And, but obviously your rent would be a lot lower for that. Yeah. Um, cause your tenant profile is going to be, um, so yeah, you kind of have to work backwards from what your, um, tenant profile is going to be yep. for that particular area, that particular size of unit that you're, th that you think you can build. Right. So, um, if you look at your lot that you're considering to buy and the footprint that you can build on is large, well then obviously your construction costs are going to be more, but your rent's going to be more. So all those numbers you take into consideration and you can usually put an offer price together that says, okay, well at this price, it makes sense. Right. Um, and it's difficult to make numbers work when interest rates are crazy, yeah. but like we always talk about, right. It's a long-term investment. And rents are strong. Rents are increasing. There's upward pressure on rents because of the, the fact that housing is just unaffordable for so many people and there's so many more people coming. Um, everyone needs a place to live. So rents seem to be trending upwards. Yep. Um, 
and and people are more and more content with smaller spaces too right because when they could pay two thousand dollars and have a whole house that was kind of like you know i'm entitled to a whole house but now they're paying two thousand bucks and they're getting a two-bedroom basement unit yeah but they're kind of resign themselves to saying you know what that's all i can afford it's kind of sad but yeah and it, but if it's nice and new and shiny, I think that takes oh, yeah. the sting off quite a bit, right? Yeah, but compared to what, right? Like if I pay 2000 bucks and I get a nice, very bright basement unit, or I can live in you know a three-bedroom apartment building unit, right. what would I choose, right? Like do I want to have a tree in my yard? Do I want to have a real spot for you know sitting outside and enjoying like the weather or whatever? Or would I rather live in an apartment building with hundreds of other people and you know just throw my garbage in a dumpster and whatever like it's a different lifestyle yeah, and deal with bed bugs and cockroaches <laughs> yeah and... not saying it's not good and it doesn't suit certain people but it just i think people are attracted to the uh, yeah. lifestyle of living in a mature neighborhood right so living <laughs> like can you get quality tenants for an adu so this and is, is it worth having like a five bedroom versus a three bedroom? Because is there really that much difference in in the rent? Like, you know, I'm thinking I could, my family could fit in a five bedroom, <laughs> theoretically, yeah. right? But would I want to? Are you going to actually get people who want five bedrooms in an ADU? Or is it going to be um, like just do three bedrooms and that'll cap out the kind of people that you would uh, be yeah. able to rent. I don't to. think it's worth it to do five bedrooms. I'm just saying like for you, perspective, people, yeah. you could technically have that size of a structure. Yeah. But right? you're so typically going to do two, three bedrooms. Yeah. So that's where you kind of look at the numbers and say, well, the cost to build this. Um, and the biggest thing is the cost to put the foundation in the ground. Right. Yeah. So, um, like services, right. Running your water and sewer and th th those you have to do no matter what you build. Yeah. Um, and they're all site specific <clears throat> and kind of unique, but the foundation is really, you could do a slab on grade. So just a concrete engineered slab on top of the ground and you don't have to excavate and cart dirt around. Um, you still have to do some excavation and it, like it's engineered. So yeah. there's a little bit more involved than just scraping the dirt away and putting some yeah but you're not down. going eight feet down and putting yeah frames, you're right? not going below the frost line yeah. you're just using insulation to make it work <clears throat> um piers have been used too like helical piles or um piers it's kind of um there's all different construction techniques that can kind of reduce cost but either basically either you're going basement or no basement right yeah and if you go basement then you have the bonus of storage you might be able to have um like a rec room or something but you also have more room to heat right right so um i kind of brought it up as wow you can actually do this but in reality as an investor like unless your parents are living there and you want to spend an extra 80 grand putting a basement in yeah um and then maybe finish it off or something put carpet in there like it's probably not worth it as an investor to do that right now anyways <laughs> right now yeah yeah <coughs> Um, and that's where I was kind of going. Like if this is a desirable area to live and they're not making more land and you have an ADU, um, and you did put a basement in like in 15 years, right. Yeah. That, that could be just the regular lifestyle. Right. And now you have an ADU and you have a basement in it and people are just like, I'd pay way more rent for an ADU. With and that the basement. makes you stand out. Yeah. Yeah. So these are all the things like this is really a bleeding edge conversation. Bleeding edge, cutting edge. Yeah. Leading edge, yeah, bleeding edge. Leading edge, bleeding. 
Yeah. I think it's leading edge and people have just made it into bleeding edge. <laughs> I've heard it, but anyways, <laughs> one of those. It, what I'm trying to say is that <laughs> there's not too much data, at least for this area, because so for example, like if you want to look at comparable homes sold, right? That's yeah. usually how you get to a value of um, your investment property when you're doing, let's say, a basement suite. Yeah. Um, you'll look at comparable legal duplexes that have sold. And there's a lot more of those. Um, I mean, they're still not very common, but there is a lot more of those out than legal duplexes with a detached dwelling selling, yeah. right? So um, even in my conversations recently with uh, appraisers, right, they're having a hard time figuring out exactly how they're going to value this because, you know, you can value it based on comparables. Yep. But there are no comparables, or you could value it based on the income it generates. Yeah. But in reality, there's this since it's a, a de- like a it's a single family home technically with a basement accessory dwelling, like it's still kind of comparable to other single family homes. So it's hard to value just on the cost or like just on the income approach. Yeah. And then there's the kind of cost approach where it's like, well, what did it cost to build this? And that's more of like a, an industrial commercial kind of style of appraisal. But yeah, um, yeah, they're just, there's not really any data to go off of yet. Right. So same thing when you're asking me questions about rent, um, it's kind of unknown um, whether or not people are going to really, really like these. Yeah. But based on my experience, I could just speak from like conversations I've had with tenants about, Hey, we're putting this in, in the backyard. What do you think? Um, most tenants are comfortable with it. Um, obviously if they don't, if they're not, uh, comfortable, they probably wouldn't come. Like if you put it in the listing, they probably won't come yeah, to see it. You're not going to see them anyway. Yeah. So, so maybe the ones I'm talking there. to are a bit biased. <laughs> 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 um, but they realize like it's, Hey, it's a brand new unit. It's really nice. Um, I got this kind of space to myself and that's the biggest thing with the detached dwelling, right? Is I'd be willing to pay more to live above grade, so not in a basement, yeah. and I don't have to share anything with, like uh, the water pressure is not going to be affected by the other tenants necessarily. Um, you know, I don't have to talk to them if the you know fuse blows or the yeah. breaker trips or whatever, um, depending on how you wire your units. Um, stuff stuff like that, right? Where and then the the big one is noise, uh, smell. So with people cooking in the oh, basement. Right, like, yeah. You were cooking fish at 1130 last night <laughs> and you were doing it the night before, the night before. Like, you don't know how many units we get complaints like that, right? So yeah. this guy was cooking last night. It's like, well, he needs to eat. <laughs> um, Doesn't need to eat fermented cabbage though. Yeah. At 1130 <laughs> at night, every night. Um, yeah. But that, that is not a factor with these ADUs. Yeah. Right? So for tenants, um, it's yeah you have to sacrifice because you might not have the ideal parking spot you might have to walk quite a ways to get there but once you're in your unit it's kind of your space it's um yeah it's valuable right yeah and i think there's less uh just in general less value placed on outside space than there was in the past right because like even in my neighborhood there's some people are outside and like usually it's the kids and stuff and like we're outside all the time we love it yeah but mostly in the neighborhood you don't see anyone no right most people are just like they come home they go inside and that's where they stay they yeah. don't go outside Close the blinds yeah maybe mow the lawn or whatever but that's it's like, the other thing if people have, have their blinds closed all the time 
and I just go like, why do we even build windows? <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> that might be a trend. If you're in windows uh, moving forward, we might not have windows. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> we only have windows because it's building code. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyways, yeah, I just think that's less of a factor. Like if you're talking about a backyard ADU yeah. and there's not much of a yard, like who cares? Yeah. I'm just playing video games or watching TV anyways, right? Yeah. Yeah, for, exactly. Um, for your, I guess, and that's where you, you talk about working backwards and figuring out your ideal tenants. Yeah. That's where you got to figure out like who in what this are they neighborhood gonna is going to, yeah. yeah, what do they want? Yeah. And so, okay. So what I'm getting from you here is that it's probably worth it to put in I don't know if I ADU. answered a single question yet. <laughs> yeah. You, you should be a politician. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but ideally what you're looking for, if what I'm uh, picking up is right here, is probably uh, like a bungalow type of home because it's going to be cheaper than like, you know, the bigger homes. But something with like an unfinished basement on a big lot is kind of like an ideal yeah. in this area anyways. Yeah. Uh, is ideal because you don't have without a garage or anything or a shed or whatever so you don't have demolition costs you're going to have renovation costs but you're going to have them anyways and then you have easy access and you can build as big an edu um, as you possibly can yeah in the uh, in the back yeah exactly and um, a big lot is um, like there is a minimum size right that would work yeah. Um, and you can kind of go through the zoning regulations if you want to fall asleep, but, um, <laughs> I'll let you do that. <laughs> um, but if I like, want to fall asleep, I'll just listen to our podcast. Yeah. At, <laughs> at real time speed. <laughs> yeah. Let's slow it down a little. Um, but what I was going to say is like a deep lot is good, but you need an access point, right? So it depends where the house, like where the main house that you're buying is right. situated on the lot. Right. So you do um, like a driveway basically to the, yeah, at least you, you need some walkway. access. You need a one meter wide <clears throat> unobstructed um, pathway and that's for fire safety. Right. Yeah. So you need to be able to get back there. Um, so you can't just like say, well, you know what, if you kind of creep around this bush and get in there and then like you can, can get you do to a your tunnel. Uh, I'll ask. Yeah. yeah. Why don't you fi find out and get back? I'll to say us. I'm Mark yep. and then I'll ask. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> and just like that, we're off well, track. So the other thing I was going to say is, so a corner lot, for example. Yeah. Um, or a through lot where there's it fronts on both streets. Yeah. Or has an alleyway behind. So there's a lot of different style lots in the city of Hamilton. There's a lot of these alleyway kind of streets or laneway, right? Where yeah. it's a main street up front, but you do have access at the rear. So in that case, like you could have a lot more density because your so house is... So that's ideal. Yeah. Um, well... Yes and no. Like, I guess it gives you access to the unit that's kind of private. Yeah. Um, but it's not, doesn't make it ne necessarily any more cost efficient to build um, versus building one in your backyard. You're uh, still okay. kind of doing the same construction and whatever else, right? But it's just it definitely um, those, those units you can kind of build more dense because, um, yeah, the houses are right beside each other. The lots are usually skinnier. Right. And you don't have like a parking beside necessarily. And, yeah. Um, yeah. So. Okay. So back to our original question, does this make the property weird? And in turn, would it be harder to sell someday? Yeah. So that's an interesting argument that, um, or discussion to have, because if it's, 
um, like so zoom back 10 years yeah um, there weren't too many houses with legal basements because it's just very onerous to go through the process um, everybody kind of had another kitchen in their basement and whatever but you were well, I mean, there were plenty of illegal basement yeah apartments, that's right? what I mean like they're just like another that were rented out yeah but when you're selling a house, you're generally selling it as this is a single family home for your family to buy and live in. And by the way, it has a potential to have like a granny suite or whatever. Yeah. Right. And the listing kind of goes um, picture your family living in this property and enjoying the yard with uh, access to a thing. So your kids can live in the basement or a little bit of income to supplement your lifestyle, whatever. Right. Whereas fast forward to today, it's like housing crisis. Property values are crazy. Um, and in some ways they're justified because now you can put three legal units and generate all this income from your property. But a lot of more listings are like, Hey, this is a piece of land in Hamilton (laughs) and you could put three units on it. Right. So it's no longer being sold to, uh, that family who wants to make this their forever home and landscape the backyard really nice. Um, so the clientele that's buying them could be a lot different, right? So you could you could buy it as a family, live in one of the units and rent the other two out, right? Or you're an investor buying it. Or uh, another whole category is, you know, let's say a young person or two, two young people, um, let's say two couples, right? And they yeah. wanna co-own a house. And that, like, I, I'm aware of multiple situations like that, right? Where it's like two couples, um, they, do, they can't afford a house on their own, but they can go together and go joint venture on a house. One lives upstairs, one lives downstairs, yeah. right? <clears throat> so now if you had a third unit, um, that property becomes like, you know, three couples can do it. So you can afford even more okay. property, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I have seen like a lot of ads. Yeah, just you mentioned the tone of the ads. Yeah. Um, shifting from from that sort of single family to like, you know, this place has a, a basement suite ready to go. Yeah. So, um, you know, supplement your, so it's still targeted at that family, Yeah. but it's now supplement or, you know, help pay your mortgage yeah. with this basement suite. And yeah. that's like a lot more common, right? Yeah. And I think people are like, yeah, that's, that's, that's what I need to do. Well, cause in order to qualify for the purchase of the home, if it's let's say eight hundred thousand, you got to go to the bank and prove to them that you have the income to support, let's say, a six hundred thousand dollar mortgage, right? Yeah. Well, maybe most people's incomes can't do that with these interest rates. But if you have a basement suite adding to your income and a backyard suite adding to your income, now all of a sudden you can afford. Uh, when you go to the bank, you say, "Look, well, I have my income, my wife's income, I have my backyard suite income, and I have my basement suite income." And they might only use 50% of the rental income, but, um, you know, I can afford to buy this house because I can afford to carry it with uh, all this income that I'm generating, right? Yeah. So now, all of a sudden, um, the same family can afford this bigger purchase because uh, their income's like doubled. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So that opens up a whole new market segment or it expands what might have been a dwindling market segment, right? Of people yeah. who couldn't afford it before, well, now they can because they're getting this other income. But their lifestyle is changing. That's the flip side, right? So they're no longer just living in this wonderful property. They're sharing it. Yeah, but it's also the difference between owning, owning and a renting. House and renting, yeah. Or Which owning in this area versus driving four hours and yeah. having a commute, right, to yeah, where you exactly. want to work. <clears throat> um, 
Okay, so getting back to the investor, who uh, so he buys this bungalow, adds a basement suite, adds an accessory dwelling unit in the back, um, and then he wants you talked about refinancing. So what does that look like, and is it like is it worth it? Do you get all your money back out? Oh, so I haven't actually done this yet, but we just got the permit to build one. We haven't actually refinanced it. But I can make some assumptions based on conversations I've had with appraisers and. Yep. Um, so just quickly for people who aren't necessarily aware of the investment strategy, because some people definitely are, but maybe some of our listeners like, what is refinance? Like, why? Why would, why would I do you that? refinance? Yeah. yeah. So just to walk you through how that's relevant is. Um, so when you make an investment, um, you're going to have, uh, like you, you buy the house, you get a mortgage, right? On, yep. When you purchase it, because presumably you don't have $800,000 or 500,000 or whatever you're buying the house for. Right. So you get this loan and then it doesn't have a basement suite and it doesn't have a backyard suite. So now you're going to go and you're going to spend more money. So you spent the down payment, the closing costs. And you spend more money on constructing the basement suite, the backyard suite. Um, maybe one day you build an apartment building in your backyard. <laughs> so that's all out of pocket, right? Unless you can borrow it from somewhere else. But yeah. you, so you're, you're paying for the down payment, you're paying for the construction costs. So now your investment could be quite sizable, right? So you got to have a lot of cash sitting on the sidelines just to do this investment. Yeah. Um, but then when you're done, uh, building the units and they're rented out now, um, you're going to have the original mortgage, which is now relative to the property. It's pretty small, right? Compared to the value of the property. Yeah. And you're going to have all this cash that you invested in fixing it up. So what you do is go back to the lender and you say, look, you know, my property I bought for, you know, 650,000 is now worth over a million dollars can you send an appraiser out and give us a value and loan me 80% of that new value provided right? that I can qualify for it? Yeah. You can qualify <laughs> and that they think the, uh, yeah. Yeah. That you qualify with the income, I guess, from the other units. Yeah. So that's, um, that's kind of the limiting factor when you go for uh, a refinance is it could be the amount of money that they're going to give you back. Um, is limited by either the value of the property or the income that you have to support the loan. And so generally you would want, so you're going to have a, now a bigger mortgage. So yeah. let's say you got a million dollar mortgage now. Yeah. Um, but you got to pay for that mortgage. Yeah. Or maybe it's not a million, maybe it's like 800, 800 grand yeah. because they valued it at a million. So 80%. Um, but you still have to... It's not like your payments are the same. Your payments are now increasing, right? Yeah, significant so. increase, but you presumably also have significant increase in the income potential, right? So if, if you're not living in the house and you're just renting all three units out, um, you know, you're going to have three sets of rental income. Um, you know, obviously you have to run the numbers, but if you do things properly, you should be able to um, cover the cost of the borrowing for uh, the new mortgage, right? Yeah. So <laughs> even if you're, so just to finish the whole story of this, like you go back and you get a $1 million appraisal, just as an example, right? Yeah. You get this new mortgage that's much higher. What that does is it takes all the money that you invested in construction and it puts it back in your pocket. Yeah. 
right? So now instead of, let's say, being out of pocket 500, 600, 700 grand, depending on how much you spent on this thing, um, you might only be out of pocket like 300 grand, right? Right. <clears throat> so now you spent $300,000 and you have three units that are generating X number of dollars and they're basically paying for the debt um, that cost to buy them and build them. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, so you're, I mean, yeah, is it possible to get all of your money back out these days? Not really, no. No, yeah. but you're going to get a significant amount, which may take you back to like a 20% down payment scenario, yeah. right? So where yeah. maybe this is a million dollar property, now you have 200 grand in it. Yeah, um, and so this is the biggest unknown, like provided you can qualify for financing yeah. up to whatever million dollars, like, yeah. So let's say you have the income to support that and the rental income, like you add all those numbers up and your debt coverage ratios that the bank's going to look at, they're going to say, all right, yeah, no problem. We'll give you the loan. So that's not a limiting factor. The unknown and the kind of other limiting factor right now with the market is the appraisal because obviously the market is quite strange right now. Like uh, interest rates are crazy. Um, You know, listings are kind of all over for what they sh- should be doing according to history. <laughs> but um, appraisers are generally being cautious. Like appraisers are generally cautious um, to begin with. Like they're not gonna, if they're, if they're appraising a home on behalf of the bank, like usually they say, okay, you know, maybe always, they probably, <laughs> I always wonder what they do, but they're probably like, well, this could probably sell for that. Let's just take 10% off. Yeah, um, exactly. usually if you sell your home, it'll sell for more than what it appraises for. Like that, yeah. in my experience anyways, with the appraisals we've got. Um, but now specifically, like I, I've even heard like banks telling appraisers, Hey, you got to tone Take it down it a easy. bit. Right. Yeah. Um, so, so you might not get uh, an opinion of value. That's where you want it to be. Yeah. Right. So then instead of saying it's worth a million and you're like, you know, I spent so much money, it should be worth 1.2. And they might say, Oh, it's only worth 950 or something. Yeah. Right. So the loan is going to be dependent on that. And you, you can fight that to a certain degree. Right? Yeah. You could get a second appraisal or a different opinion. Um, you could just not take the loan and go somewhere else. Yeah. Um, yeah, there are options and you could like, I mean, you could go private loan and you might be able to get, something but yeah usually the cost is prohibitive but um all that to say is from an investor's perspective you have your money or like you have money back in your pocket not all of it um you know there was a time and sometimes like depends right if you can buy the house for free and you can do the rentals for cheap and you get great rents yeah you know you might you have lots of money right um or if you could buy the house and instead of just putting a basement suite in and a backyard suite you could put you know, sever the lot and build, you know, a triplex and put another, like you can all of a sudden have six or eight or nine or 10 or whatever units, right? Then all of a sudden you're talking, you get a lot bigger money to do the project, but a lot more likely that you're going to get all your money back out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so that's, uh, yeah. Okay. But if you look over the long term, like obviously year one is going to be the tough because you bought the house, you did the construction and you didn't make any income. But year two, year three, then you start stabilizing, getting good tenants, getting good rents, yep. paying down some principal on your loan. Um, and then you you ride the trends that we've been talking about in this podcast for like, you know, months now. Um, you know, population trends, uh, housing supply trends. So like they're not just, they're just not building housing. Yep. And 
um, you know, the trends towards more density and people being willing to pay more for less, like all of these things, right? And inflationary pressure, And then inflation too. is a huge one. Yeah. So now you own a great spot of the city. You have a nice mature neighborhood. You have a solid house that's all nice, brand new, rents to great people. And yeah. um, it, 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 it's a really good asset to hold on to long term. Like there's a lot of reasons why you'd want to own that and hold on to it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Presumably it's increasing in value. Yeah. Um, for what that's worth yeah. in our system. But that, that is something. Right, yeah. as long if it can keep up with inflation or beat inflation, yeah. like that is solid. Plus, it's producing income. Yeah, um, and hopefully, like a net profit uh, every month. Yeah, and that's going to depend on you know how what financing you can qualify for, right? Because that property might bring in the same amount of income for you or as as the other guy, but if you let's see you already have a couple properties you might not be able to get good financing or you just yeah. don't have the income you might not be able to pull as much money out or um and the other thing that's interesting with financing is obviously the more money you invest the better the cash flow right because yeah. you're not paying as much to finance it so it there's kind of a way where like you can make the cash flow work it's just how much money do you want to invest right yeah exactly because most investors who are uh, more savvy, they want to pull money out to kind of maximize the potential on the next one. Yeah. Um, you know, and it comes a point like there's seasons to this too, right? Like maybe if you're younger, you might have a higher tolerance for risk cause you got more time. So you want to leverage a bit more, but as you get older and you need a little bit more stability, you want more income, you might just want to leave, like pay it down, right? Just pay yeah. it down to zero, let the tenants pay, um, you know, your lifestyle, and then you have some equity there. Um, so yeah, there's different different strategies for different people and what their goals are, but, and there's different risks too, but um, yeah, it's a great asset to hold on to long-term. Yeah, and you also have the option of doing different <coughs> rental styles too, right? Yeah. Um, maybe you, and if you're not sure, you could do like a long-term rent in the front house and do a short-term rental in the back, right? Yeah, and I think that's a good conversation to have um, about uh, like specific to people who are homeowners, right. Who are living in the house. Um, it could be a great strategy to look at Airbnbs. Um, maybe we could talk to Mark. Hey, you're right here. <laughs> hey, here I am. Oh, <laughs> uh, every time I think Airbnb, I think Mark now. <laughs> Perfect. Job done. <laughs> uh, we were trying to go on a vacation and book an Airbnb. I was like, ah, maybe I should just call Mark and book it. But I don't know if you have any uh, Airbnbs in the mountains of. <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. Working on it. <laughs> so yeah, but that's another, um, and that's a very another variable as well, right? Like uh, in terms of cash flow, you know, what what rental style are you doing? So, yeah, um, we we focus on long term rentals in yep. our portfolio. Um, and uh, Airbnb, so it depends where your city is, right? We could probably talk about this for a long time. So maybe we do that next episode. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, we've talked, we've done Airbnb to death, but, but yeah. But what I'm saying is, so for the tenants who are in the main house, if you had, let's say, the backyard suite and it was Airbnb, um, you're going to have frequent change of tenants. Yeah. Um, there's always, so I find with tenants, there's always kind of this learning curve. The first couple months, like they're figuring out, you know, where do I park? How do I interact with this other tenant? 
uh, you know, where do we put the garbage? Who takes it out? Who brings the bins in? Yeah. Right? Like if I have to cut the grass, but like who d- takes care of this? And um, so it is a little bit of a dynamic to get the property kind of smooth and operating well and yeah. the tenants to, um, and if you have tenants turnover every year, like some of our properties will have really frequent, like one to one and a half years, they turn over, right? Um, for some reason, that's just the way it worked out. Um, but you usually find you're managing them more because you're always kind of helping them get along for the yeah, first little bit. Yeah, acclimatize, yeah. Yeah, so with Airbnb, like I, I haven't done this with three units, but I suspect that like you, you, have, you have to have a, a tenant who um, is comfortable with having someone new there, even if it's like a midterm rental there for like one month to six months or something. Like yeah. you're still gonna have a more frequent, like get to know your neighbors. It's unsettling. Like we, well, maybe we just had our neighbors sell their house, right? And whenever you have that, you, like, you kind of have your neighborhood figured out, you know, yeah, the kids, yeah. you know, the, whatever, everyone's quirks. And then someone sells and they're right beside you and you're like, uh, oh, who is this going to be, right? Yeah. How are they going to affect? And, uh, you know, it, it just, yeah, you kind of have a little bit of uncertainty for a while, right? Even in your home and it's just yeah. you know, unfounded, but. Um, for tenants, that's that could be a big thing. I could see, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's um, to think about. So, but in our portfolio, like we try to do high quality, like high priced rentals. So those tenants also have a certain expectation, right? Yeah, like they don't want people this in and out all the time. But Airbnb, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> all right, yeah, we can get into that more later. So, I think uh, I think that's a good primer on ADUs and uh, maybe the next couple episodes we'll get into um, into some of the nitty gritty as to how you actually do this. I think we've established like this is a good idea if you can do this Yeah. and you know the more density you can get as an investor the better but doing the sort of three units on the one property you can do as of right you just got to get the permits and make sure you do it properly so there's a lot less red tape and a lot less time for the whole process and you know time is money because once you bought that yeah. property you're making payments <laughs> on it so you know doing a six-month process versus a two-year process that's uh yeah it's yeah. a huge difference yeah um so we'll probably focus on the just the, the adu stuff in the next um next few episodes awesome yeah hopefully people learn something on this and i learned a couple things so <laughs> well i didn't but you know <laughs> just kidding okay well thank you for listening folks until next time steward your wealth wisely thanks for listening to this episode of the two stewards show if you like my voice better click subscribe and if you like my voice better click share if you like both give us a five-star rating to interact with the show, feel free to reach out at hello at twostewards.ca. We'll see you in the next episode. In the meantime, steward your wealth wisely.